Hello? Hey, everybody. Hey, Billy. Hi, Mizza. You uh, guys are listening to Talking About Practice. Talking About Practice. The podcast. <laughs> and you were also just listening to T-Rex or Mark Bolin, I guess. I think that was, yeah, Solo Mark Bolin. Solo Mark Bolin. The Wizard. That was great. It's a fantastic song, and the, we're playing it because tonight we're talking about magic. And my first question here for Mizza is, why do you spell magic with a K? Oh, um, you know, it's it's something that I picked up from reading Alan Moore. Okay, and no, that Al- makes sense. Yeah, okay, Alan Moore is a um, self-proclaimed magician. And I think he spells it with a K to it, uh, in order to distinguish it from sleight of hand magic or magic in the sense of casting, you know, casting right, a right. fireball spell or Harry Potter, or right? This, you know, whatever you do with wands. So, so his, his magic with a K is what Alan Moore considers the real magic, which is sort of his ceremonial belief system. Yeah, I think have you have you read much Alan Moore? I've read a little bit, but not I wouldn't say a lot. I've read like two or three books. Like uh, Watchmen. I've read Watchmen. I've read I think he did Top 10. Top 10. I read Top 10, the first book of Promethea and the first book of Swamp Thing. Okay. Yeah. So if you read Promethea, that was uh, that would I think it, a lot I of know people would consider that his treatise on yeah, but Magic. I didn't read enough of it to actually understand where he was going with it. Okay. Yeah. He calls it chaos magic. And I don't think he he coined the term, but mm. that's what um, a lot of people call what he right. is interested in. Do you know if that's related to the sort of Aleister Crowley Thelema? I don't know how to pronounce it. Thelema, Thelema? Thelonious Monk? No. But Thelonious Monk is also magical. He's a magical being. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I, I've heard that Alan Moore, when he was writing From Hell, he wrote 
a line of dialogue, and I don't remember what the dialogue was, but when he wrote it, he realized it was true, and the only logical step from there was to become a magician. Do you know that story? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I know he worships uh, a snake god. Okay. He made out of a sock. <laughs> so, well, I, I, I love know. that man. Yeah, okay, yeah, no, he's a he's an interesting he's an interesting guy. I think the thing about From Hell and how he got into magic in the first place is probably true. Right. Although I also think he's been interested in related topics right. since forever. Because back in Swamp Thing, there was a lot of occult. Mm-hmm. stuff there was crowley stuff yeah in, in uh in swamp thing and that was his first you know that was the the story that made his name right did uh so so if he worships some sort of snake thing he's probably not the same as the crowley ones because kenneth anger is one of those he's a thelemist or whatever or however you pronounce it and I've, I've read an interview with him where he says that the first thing he does during the day is greet the sun because the sun is like there is it's it's part of what he worships so i would okay. guess that that's a separate those are separate things well yeah like worshiping the sun and worshiping a soccer <laughs> they would they would appear to be different things but right maybe not necessarily right i mean at yeah. least in in alan moore's view uh his his modus operandi seems to be connecting various parts of his mental universe in ways that you would not expect so, you know, Satanism and magic with a K right. and, you know, magic with a regular C. Like David Copperfield magic might even figure into his cosmology. So, uh, the, the thing about David Copperfield magic is there's this show called Jonathan Creek that, I, that I've seen a little bit of. It's a British show, and it's about this magician's assistant who solves crimes, because it's a TV show, and that's inevitably what's going to happen. But he's uh, he's the guy who designs the tricks, and his thing about sleight of hand is that it's uh, the trick to it is to go to lengths that the other person couldn't possibly fathom you'd go to, so to trick them. So, like, you in order to perform the trick you you do something like like his example was that he guessed something that the woman had written down and the way he did it was he got the waiter to like spy on her and he did several other steps that just were completely out of the way just to make this trick work and so in a way things that the audience wouldn't expect right and so what I like about that in comparison to, like, magic with a K is that you're, you're talking about connecting things that you might not expect to connect. Well, that's kind of, in a roundabout way, how you do sleight of hand, is you, you find the unexpected. I think and... so. I, you're, you're right in that um, what's actually happening, and, and people who do sleight of hand magic will often say this that what you're the the you know the so-called real magic behind it is controlling another person's perception or at least um altering their perception right so advertisers are magicians 
in that sense, yeah. yes. Um, and I guess if we were going to be very broad with our definition, and I think for purposes of this podcast, we it looks like we are going to be very broad. All right. You can call just about anyone a magician. So, so anyone's capable of their own kind of magic? That's right. All right. Can you... What, what kind of magic do you do? Um, well, there is a kind of magic, uh, at least in the way that I like to think of magic, that in essence, all you're doing is making something that wasn't real a second ago real. So that, I mean, it could be something as boring as getting up out of bed or, you know, waking waking up. All right. Or pouring yourself a glass of milk or, you know, pouring that glass of milk into a bowl of cereal. So just common act... Well, I mean, so if you're pouring yourself a bowl of cereal... You've effectively changed the universe because the universe before you poured that bowl of cereal was the universe in which you hadn't poured a bowl of cereal, and now it's the universe in which you poured a bowl of cereal. That's right, and I know that that sounds thrilling, but to me it's just normal. <laughs> right. That's just what I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but no, in, in a um, you know, if we are going to be very broad the term we do have to take into account that there are all sorts of ways that we can make things happen in this world and some of them are boring because we've gotten used to them right and some of them are more exciting because we don't you know because we're not used to them all right i uh like we happen to be not used to making a fireball appear between our left hand and our right hand, and then projecting it Speak at our yourself. enemies. Yeah, and I, if you did that right now, mm -hmm. that would, you know, that would get my attention. In in this case, my roommate Bart would be my enemy. Uh, we're, we're not allowed to say Bart's real name? Well, that is Bart's real name. That's Bart's only name. See, the kind of magic I do is I rename things. So Bart used to have a different name, but now I've given Bart the name Bart, and right now she's trying really, really hard not to react. I've also renamed her Cats. So, like, a fiction could also be understood mm -hmm. as, as magic, because it allows you to do things that were not possible a second ago. Explain. Well, um, let's say you were very shy about speaking on a particular topic. All right. Or say um, Bart was very shy about speaking on a particular topic. Now she's got this new name. Uh-huh. And she's got one of those, what do you call those things that, those voice... Um, a vocoder? Yeah, like, a, you know, those things where you, you see a silhouette of the person on TV and right. then they change... I, I don't know the specific Yeah, term. whatever they call that. Some sort of distortion device. So now, all of a sudden, she's free to say whatever the hell she wants. And nobody nobody can guess the identity of the person. That's true. We basically 
constructed the classic internet anonymity for Bart and allowed and allowed her complete freedom in this moment. And whatever she chooses to do, it will be magical. Um, at, at any rate, so... Um, <laughs> I guess if if magic is how we get things done in the mm -hmm. world, there are... Um, this potentially opens up um, the possibility that normal things are magic. Right. Money could be magic. I mean, I guess, I mean, especially in sufficient amounts. Right. Um, and so when you go to a store and you, you put... Um, two quarters and a dime on the counter and you get oh will that buy a pack of gum? I have no I haven't that, bought that a, will buy that will totally buy a pack of gum. Just shake your head. Yes. We've had we have that confirmed by an expert. So why why couldn't you understand that in terms of look, I did something with my hands and I said some things that came out of my mouth and that was the spell and look what happened I got this pack of gum it's kind of interesting first of all that you're using that specific analogy because that specific analogy is kind of one of the like it's almost a a cliche of of, mon of something mundane and the way you look at magic is is that you seem to be saying that things that most people take for granted and, and feel are mundane uh, have an inherent magic because they have this power to change things or to just even if it's a very very small change whereas most people just think of that as absolutely the regular everyday stuff which is the opposite of what magic is traditionally uh, portrayed as especially in uh, the more in fantasy stories and things mm -hmm. like that where it's where it's people doing things that are considered impossible or beyond belief and you're saying that what magic really is is the the way the commonplace has this uh, is the has is a what weirdness. we've taken has for a granted yeah. it, it, it has a weirdness to it that um, has been lost through repetition or through um, um, through learning mm-hmm we we just don't notice it anymore and the thing the the funny thing is is when you're when you're first born mm -hmm. it all is just a mess the whole thing the your whole um sensory apparatus is overloaded from day 1 right and it's probably terrifying i mean i say probably cuz you know I only remember as far back as a year and a half old. Um, That's actually further than I think a lot of people remember. So. And the moment of my birth is lost to me. Right. But I'm guessing that it was terrifying. and Most people come out screaming. So. Yeah, you come out screaming and um, you're, I don't know, like what it was. You, you a second ago you were one way and now you're another way. You were submerged in a warm fluid and then all of a sudden some 
you know, some weird guy. You don't even know it's a guy. But right. Some weird thing is maybe hitting you or, you know. Shoving a tube in you. Yeah, shoving a tube in you or cutting something off of you. Yeah. or, um, And that weirdness, that initial weirdness, lasts for a while, you know. Yeah. It's, not, it, it's not just, um, you know, it's not a, it's not a. It's not a day, and then that's it. You're you're right. a full human. <laughs> Here's my question. So, as you grow up, this this sense of weirdness and wonder and all that fades as we get used to it, as we learn, as through repetition. But there are still moments, and I think it's certainly in my life, and I'm guessing in everyone's lives, where you, you that that sense hits you again of how something is so strange or so weird or so wonderful that you have this. This profound feeling, and that's and that's often when that happens. That is often a time that um, that is often when people will say something to the effect of, "What a magical thing that was that just right. happened." Well, here's my question though, uh, and and I'm speaking of things that are truly like when that happens it's often spurred by something that's actually different that it's not part of the mundanity and so my question is is are those moments are those things more magical because they break through the the rote and and the the, the mundane to make you see it again or are they just as magical as anything else we just happen to notice them no i i, I reckon um it it might be useful to for for uh, an individual to create a hierarchy mm -hmm. when it comes to magical things, um, but to my mind, it's not strictly necessary. Right. Um, you might, you know, it might be possible. No, it, it's not. It's there's no might. It's possible to have very mundane things all of a sudden. Uh, seem weird. Right. Now, a lot of people will do this through, um, you know, con consuming a large amount of drugs or, <laughs> you know. Um, right. There are ways of getting there. Right. And so who's to say that that, that uh, walking around in the woods after having... Um, eating a mushroom and seeing the trees, uh, branches suddenly turn into tentacles is less magical than, um, you know, what you do in Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Well, I like, why is, um, the only example I can think of is throwing a fireball, but well, that's pretty traditional going but these these things that happen when you eat a sufficient dose of mushrooms are very strange and um i don't you know even though afterwards people will say hey you just you know you were walking around like an idiot <laughs> i don't see any reason to um degrade that experience or to demote that experience to to something less than 
you know, anything else that you might call magic. Right. It's, uh, I mean, if you're, if you've done something to yourself that alters your, I mean, it's going back to altering perception, uh, which we right. mentioned before. That, I mean, no, if that's the no. essence there of, of magic, then that's, that's as magical as you can get, right? Yeah, that, that'll connect you back to David Copperfield or David Blaine, Ricky Jay, <laughs> Siegfried and Roy. Were Siegfried and Roy, I, they, I guess they were magicians. The only thing I remember about them is the Tigers. Uh, yeah, and the guy. Right. Yeah. Well, that was a magical moment for everyone. Yeah, when that was attacked. totally unexpected. That was probably more unexpected than anything they had ever done before. <laughs> I mean, in, in a, a way, unfortunate way. Yeah. I, well, I feel like I feel like there were certain uh, plenty of people in this world who who had a feeling that was going like an inevitability, but they were either or a uh, wish <laughs> or a wish, certainly. Uh, but the it, it's still it's still that's. Well, that's the thing. Like, even to the people who were saying, you know, you can't do that to a wild animal; it's going to attack them one day. Even when that happened, I'm sure it still shocked most of them. So that that's its uh, that's its magical quality is that it's still when it happened, even though it was expected to certain people, it was still uh, it still broke their the yeah, their, it'll their shock you out of your um... your uh, taking. The, taking the magic of the world for granted, they no longer did that in that moment. It was one of those moments where, where they could have said it was a, a magical mm. moment, even though it was, it really, though really horrifying. Really bad, yeah. really bad magic. Bad that's, magic. That's, that's yeah, that's the evil kind of magic. But uh, yeah, you. But you're right. That could shock you out of it for a minute, and uh, until, until it. At least until the next thing on your feed comes up. What the... Can you think of any times where in your life where you experienced something like that specifically? Like any time in your life? Uh, whether it's from... That was non-mushroom related? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I don't know why I'm thinking about the tsunami that hit the... Was it Madagascar? Or... Uh, was that? It, it, was... it hit both sides of the Indian Ocean, right? So, yeah, I think we, it hit we've Indonesia. got the internet. We've got the internet right here, but I feel like the, looking it up would be the most unmagical way of <laughs> continuing the discussion. I, I believe I, I know it hit parts of Indonesia, and it probably yeah. it probably hit Madagascar, Thailand, yeah. It probably hit, yeah. It was a huge thing. Yeah. And I thought, oh, okay. Is this the most people that have ever died all at once? And it turned out that it wasn't. What? What? Now, but now I want to know what it was. But go on. But it was. It was enough people that I was like, um, hot damn, that was, like, whoa. Right. Now what's gonna happen? Like something has to happen because that happened, right? Um. <laughs> so it's only a, a few years later, thinking back on it, that, was, uh, that I said, "All right, well, that was just a feeling that I had. It didn't like nothing changed. No, a <laughs> <laughs> uh, hundred thousand people is nothing. Uh, I mean, 
that's uh, that's a that's an incredibly depressing thought, and I, I don't know where to go from there. When I asked that, I was hoping for something, some some affirming moment or some. I'm some, sure there are some affirming, moments, but that <laughs> you asked me for something that shocked me out of my normal. Right, that's fair. Shocked me out of my normal perception, and that did because I thought um, I had never, or you know, you could say the same thing about. Um, September 11, yeah. 2001, in that... Um... That it, that shocked a lot of people, I think, but I, uh, I don't know. Mostly I got pissed off by other people's reactions rather than having one of my own. Mm. I mean, I, I remember, and I'm not, I'm not a person that never cries. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it wasn't unprecedented, but... It's certainly, like, I don't um, routinely cry watching the news. Right. And, I don't know, some other shit might have been happening at that time, but it was a bad day, and I, you know, it, it was an exception. Right. It, uh, well, it's interesting that you mentioned that in contrast to the tsunami, uh, in a way, because, uh... Not even, not even a tenth of the number of people died in that incident. But That's right. Everything changed. That's right. So, um, in a sense, it was just a tiny thing that happened <laughs> um, that rolled up into a really massive magical snowball because it kept on going right it's, it's still going now right and, and I, I i don't mean to steer away from your you're, you're talking about how it affected you personally it just occurred to me in that moment uh that uh, the the comparison was there uh and and i guess well that, that that's interesting because i mean in america that that happened in america and everything changed in america we we say nothing changed after the tsunami, but surely God things changed somewhat for somehow in Indonesia and the other places that were affected. Well, how, how how could they? Did they like? All right, we're gonna. I I don't know. You know, we're gonna move the the shore back a couple hundred miles, so that won't happen again. Right. <laughs> Probably not. No, I don't. I know. mean, like, what happened in New Orleans after? Uh, well, theoretically, they've made the levees stronger, but the, you know, that's what we've been told. I don't trust it. No, I don't either, but <laughs> they, uh, I mean, the, there has been a lot of change in New Orleans, and not all of it for the better, but that, uh... Alright, how many people did not come back? Okay, I don't have. I, I, I have like I. No, nobody can say for sure. The population as of a few years ago was about three fourths of what it was before the storm, but that I I've it, it's gotten closer to what it was before the storm since then. I just don't have the exact figure. How many people live here? About two fifty. There, there's three hundred thousand or so. Okay, uh, that's about what I thought. Yeah, it, there was about 400,000 before the storm in Orleans Parish, 
and about a million in the metropolitan area. And so we're back up to about 750 in the metropolitan area, the last I heard, which was years ago. Gotcha. So. I don't have any experience of New Orleans pre-Katrina. Mm -hmm. When I came in 2007, speaking of, you know, moments that you're, you're asking me. Right. Um, pushed me out of my perception. I did think coming here was... Um, a big moment for me that I, I didn't know that there was an America that was like this and I couldn't put into words really what it was and that's 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 why you know I fell back on banal phrasing like it's a magical city right it's uh you know we had a magical time like what what else can you say I mean but when when you say it, were you thinking of when when you were using the term magical at at as you described your experience here? Were you thinking of magic in the way most people use it, or in this sort of specific way that you've come to use it, or both? Uh, I think I was thinking it. I was thinking about it in uh, in fairly banal terms because, um, well, I didn't have a I didn't have a good. That's not true. I was writing a lot at the time, mm -hmm. and I was trying to tell the story about coming here and um, the larger trip that contained my trip to New Orleans was a, a was a cross country drive, and you could say that was magical. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to tell the story of it in a way that conveyed um, that it was. Um, out of the ordinary. Right. But I wasn't sure if I could. So, like, what do you do if you, you don't have the words to make somebody else feel what you felt? You know, that's that's why we fall back on really boring shit to say. Um, but you're forced into boring shit by stuff that is totally not boring. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know how else to. Well, it's describe it's, that phenomenon. But it's, it's speaking of uh, using boring phrases, uh, what you seem to be getting at is the essence of the idea of being at a loss for words. That's right. All right. And um, you know, I, I think anytime you feel like you're at a loss for words, you should, you ought to enjoy that moment rather than fight against it. But then again, fighting against it, you know. What if I had, you know, I I, uh, I made a movie. Mm -hmm. You were in that movie. And I put it out there on the internet and people liked it. All right. And if I hadn't tried to convey my experience of, you know, driving across America, coming to New Orleans, and, and in essence meeting America for the first time, in a way. Right. So maybe I, I didn't even make that movie. What if I'd given up? I said, okay, I'm at a loss for words. Right.
So you have to respect that feeling and also fight against it at the same time. And I think that's uh, the essence of a lot of uh, what I call magic is a balancing act. Like saying, this is boring, but it's also not boring. Or this is... Uh, um, this is beyond words, but I'm also going to talk about it a lot right now. <laughs> right. It's um. It's trying to um. I guess not ignore contradictions. Yeah. All not, right. Not ignore. That reminds me. This is a little, a bit of a tangent. Uh, a friend of mine came to visit one time, and her husband was talking about this specific paradox. And I'm going to screw up the description, but the basics of it is is the professor says there's going to be a pop quiz next week. And the student thinks to himself, well, this is a very logical professor. If he, uh, if, if he says there's going to be a pop quiz next week, it can't be on Friday, because that's... It's not a pop quiz if it's not a surprise, and if it's on Friday, then that means we've gone the whole week without the pop quiz. So once we got to Thursday night, we'd know it had to be on Friday. So it can't be on Friday. Well, that means it can't be on Thursday, because then Thursday is the end of the week, and so on and so forth. Gotcha. And so he's talking about this paradox, and he's like, so either, I, I either there's just there's this it's this impossibility to have this pop quiz that week. Or there has to be some absurdity in the universe, and I, I was completely okay with the idea that our universe is completely absurd, and that sort of uh, the, just the 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 embracing this paradox is is the same thing. Or how sort about of this? Taking in that contradiction. Hey, class! Surprise! There's no quiz. <laughs> That's the quiz. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like that came up in the discussion, but. There's lots of caveats he had to put on it to explain why this, the, the you know, the, this circumstance came up. But yeah, I just made the level go off the charts. <laughs> That's all right. It's 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 a little magical. Uh, it also reminds me you're talking about balance. It's been a while since I've read or talked to anyone about Wicca, but I took a class about Wicca, and I vaguely recall. That the, the idea of balance was very central to some parts of it, uh, specifically the, the 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 things coming back in threes or whatever, like the threefold rule, uh, and it was all about uh, sort of a spiritual balance. So it's well, kind of is interesting. that related to uh, like bad stuff happens in threes? Uh, it might be. I mean, that's sort of. Like I won't. I don't want to say a lot of Wicca is sort of a mysticizing of superstitions, but you, if you took that point of view of it, you wouldn't be. Uh, I mean, it could. How it's you, it's how, easy how to did, take that point you, of view. Of how it. did you come upon? I mean, were you trying? Were you interested in in Wicca as a potential insider, or how did? Uh, I saw the class being offered over the summer, and I thought that, you know, like, I, I needed so many hours to get, to fulfill whatever requirement for student aid, and 
there weren't enough classes being offered that like that I needed. So I said, well, hell, this one looks like fun. And so I took that class. I took that class with my friend JT, who uh, who knew the professor from a different class, and uh, he is uh, JT is uh, another person. I didn't specifically rename him. A friend of mine renamed him, but he's another person who's been renamed in my circle of friends. Uh, more which, than once. More than once. He was he he went for he he got the nickname John Tree because. A friend of mine misheard something that he said and thought that he had said John Tree. And she goes, I don't care what you actually said. That's now your name. And then she and I and I think another one of our friends then just started making up stories about John Tree. Uh, just like simple things like he, he skipped a bagel across the Potomac and crazy shit. And we started talking like this. And then John Tree went to class. And four hours later, he says he... he he said he tells this story where he says he came back and four hours later we were still having that conversation. I don't remember it like that, but it might be true. That's like a George R. R. Martin kind of name. <laughs> um, I don't. Uh, I don't agree, but all right. At any rate, he he was. Anyway, he, he was the Wiccan, or he no, was... no, he wasn't a Wiccan. He just had had that professor before, and so he took the class with me. But uh, he. And I have talked about magic a lot because he's in my gaming group, and uh, he uh, he plays a lot of magic users, and so we've discussed the systems that get used. Because when you're playing when you're playing a D and D game or a role playing game uh, of any sort, you know there's always some sort of rules generally revolving around the dice about how to make all of this work, and so <laughs> it's kind of Again, sort of the opposite, where we're taking something fantastic and making it very mundane and reducing it to numbers and and dice. But yeah, it works both ways. Yeah. I think. Um, but continue. But but we have also sort of. I mean, we've been doing it so long. We've been trying to like, we tweak it and we do things where we try to uh, capture that sort of sense of fantastic in it. And JT once told me. Okay, but okay. Um... I remember from playing my own self that you uh, you can't control what happens with the dice, obviously. Right. So, is what you're talking about is um, altering the odds by rolling in different ways like okay roll you not exactly so well we played with that actually there was a uh, we've uh, there have been times when we've tried to do things where we changed the dice rules or we 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 allowed different dice or we did different things with the dice but uh, we've also played with things where we just say well let's just not use dice let's let's just if you're using this kind of magic you the, the 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 GM as we call it the person running the game cedes control for a moment to the player and says all right you tell me what happened in this moment you narrate the game and JT once told me that he viewed magic as the player's chance to control the narrative of the game uh, which is very similar again to changing people's perspectives on things uh, yeah that that doesn't sound far off from um, from the the Alan Moore 
understanding of, of magic, especially as, you know, his profession is right storyteller. Right. And uh, anyway, uh, another thing I was going to point out is that I think a lot of what JT, uh, not necessarily a lot of what JT thinks about magic in game terms comes from what he learned about Wicca, but he certainly used that a lot in uh, in some of the ways he's thought about and portrayed it, and uh, I'm sure some Wiccans would be a little <laughs> put off that we we took their religion and made it into a, a, a fantasy for our game, but, I mean, we've done that with everyone's religion, so they're, they're not no, alone. No, I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> I'm not going to be offended um, by anything well, having to do with... Wiccans. Right. I'm not worried about offending you. I'm not, well, I'm not worried about offending anyone. I'm just pointing out. I'm aware of it. Um, how would you How would you um, summarize uh, a, a Wiccan, the witch's approach to, to magic? Is it Is it distinct from? Uh, like, okay, it's obviously it's going to be distinct from how JT uses magic in, inside a game. Right. Uh, but he found it uh, metaphorically close enough that he could he could translate it into game terms? Or well, like what, I, what... I actually went out of my way to try and translate uh, some of the things from the Wiccan religion into game terms, but I was I've tried to translate lots of different religions and folklores and everything into game terms, but the, uh, outside of game terms, one of the, the, uh, this is all based on ten-year-old memories, the, the Wiccan, uh, in Wicca, there's sort of, I mean, it's a very personal sort of religion, so everybody, every Wiccan sort of has a, their own point of view, I believe, um, Though there are commonalities that make them Wiccan rather than pagan, I, I don't remember the specifics, but there's a lot. There are ceremonies, and I guess one of my questions is: Sorry, I'm I'm interrupting you again. That's fine. But this is before I forget. Is does it have something to do with their? They're mostly female. Is that the? Uh, I don't know the specific demographics of Wicca. Uh, the Wiccan religion, uh, as it is current in its current form today, was founded 50 years ago, and uh, I believe the name was Gardner. A gentleman named Gardner was instrumental in that. I don't think it's. I believe there's a goddess involved in Wicca, so that's part of why it's a, uh, oriented toward women more than men in some ways. But I don't know the demographics to say for sure that it's mostly women. However, there is certainly a respect for feminine power within the religion, and uh, the, there are ceremonies in it that are... The, the way they use their ceremonies and magic is sort of like their own sort of... I, this might offend people, but it's sort of their, their version of prayer in that they are, they are asking whatever divine or mystical force that they believe in to... Uh, alter what is uh, in good or bad ways. Uh, I mean, people certainly pray for bad things all the time, so it's not unusual that, or it's not impossible that an upset Wiccan would use their own spirituality in the 
in the same manner. However, it just like in uh, in Christianity, where if you're <laughs> praying for someone's death, that's probably a sin. In 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 Wicca, if you're if you're using these ceremonies to uh, to invoke bad things, to call upon bad things to happen to someone, that's where that threefold rule comes in. If you're putting out positive energy, and that's probably not how they phrase it, then that comes back to you threefold. And if you put out negative energy, that comes back to you threefold. I see. So there's definitely some culpability. Right. And accountability. It's, it's it's a sort of, it's not instant karma but it's closer to instant karma than actual karma gotcha yeah yeah actual karma you might not feel that till you well it, it doesn't happen till your to your next yeah. life yeah or yeah. at least that's how i understand it i i have a very like shallow understanding of a lot of different religions and a deep understanding of none no i'm I'm probably the same way. I've, um, you know, notwithstanding having grown up Catholic, right? And you would think, well, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. I I read the Bible, but I've read parts of the Bible. I also grew up Catholic. Oh, but, all right. Yeah, all right. Which also has its fair share of ceremonies, um, and. I've always gotten the impression that Catholicism is, is of all the Christian, well not all the Christian religions, but of the major Christian religions, one of the more... Uh, the more Dungeons and Dragons-ish. <laughs> yes, the yeah. more the more mystical yeah, I feel that. versions of Christianity. I feel that. I, that's, I, I like that about Catholicism. That's it, probably one of my favorite parts of Catholicism. <laughs> that, you know, not to... Yeah, I don't know if any Catholics will be listening to it, but um, yeah, they do some weird shit in mass for sure. <laughs> yeah, there. I mean, and and then there's sort of the uh, the totemizing of saints and uh, of uh, of the Virgin Mary specifically, mm -hmm. which is uh, very sort of mystical and the. Uh, the one I always think about is praying to St. Anthony if you've lost something. Oh, like that's yeah, something yeah. I've been told my whole life. And that's that's always struck me as strangely specific and magical in or in magical in terms of like mystical as in, in not yeah, as my in, uh my grandmother was all about Saint Anthony. Mm -hmm. And when she'd pack up boxes in her house she wrote the initials S-A-G on them. Mm-hmm. It stood for St. Anthony Guard. <laughs> and awesome. Yeah. But so everything, I just, SAG, SAG, SAG. What, what is it? All the boxes, SAG. That, that's an incredibly magical way of doing it, too. You're like, you're literally inscribing a ward on there. You're, 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 you're casting right. Uh, right. a spell on it. Uh, Grant Morrison, another comics writer who's mm -hmm. interested in magic, would call that a sigil. Yeah. Although, for him, you write out a sentence, and then, I forget exactly how it's done, but it's something to the effect of, you write out a sentence, and then you break down that sentence into initials, and then you write those initials in an abstract way, 
until you've gotten it down to uh, something that looks like a logo. Hmm. And then you think on that logo uh, while um, not praying, but you you, you focus think, on yeah, it. Yeah, you focus on it. And that is how you make the sentence come true. Huh. And he swears by it. He swears that it, it always works for him. That's, uh, I wonder, like, I, I, I feel the urge to try it. And I feel like I've heard it before, too. But knowing that it comes from Grant Morrison makes me not like it more. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a nice guy. I don't think Alan Moore is necessarily a nice guy. But Graham Morrison, I, I, I like both of them. They don't I, like each yeah. other. Oh, really? Nah. <laughs> Alan Moore, uh, I've seen a documentary on him that my friend David once brought over. And in the documentary, he actually, like, talks to himself. And it's it's pretty much what you'd expect from Alan Moore documentary. It's just a little crazy. But in, in it, he comes across as sort of like exactly what you would expect a uh, fantasy wizard to come across as sort of gruff but intelligent and he's try and, and didactic in a sort of uh, in a sort of intense way yeah he's intense but it's not necessarily unfriendly it's just off-putting yeah no he also you know he um, as I think a lot of people who have given a lot of thought to their own worldview are. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't mince words. <laughs> and he doesn't, he's not afraid to say um, something that he would say in private, in public. Right. To me, that's an admirable quality in a person. But it also means that you'll make enemies. And, you know, if you're pissed off at somebody... And you're not afraid to say you're pissed off at somebody or to communicate, um, you know, through your your attitude that you're pissed off at somebody, then, you know, yeah, you risk uh, looking like an asshole. Right. And, uh, I, I mean, that reminds me of his miniature feud with Frank Miller over the Occupy Wall Street thing. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Frank Miller wrote something just denigrating the people from Occupy Wall Street, and Alan Moore wrote a response that was just heralding heralding them, and uh, not necessarily heralding them, but definitely supporting uh, some of the ideas there. And, I mean, I, I feel like there was definite praise for anarchy in there somewhere, mm-hmm. but... Uh, it was. I, I, I think a feud might be blowing it up. They just had a, a little bit of back and forth about it. You know, it's funny. Um, the Occupy movement adopted something from Alan Moore's um, comics, and it turned into. It's funny. It, it's it's something that makes you believe in magic if you think about it for a minute. He wrote a story called V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. That turned out to be a movie many years later, which is probably how it got adopted by Occupy oh, Wall masks? Street. Yeah, right. The main character in V for Vendetta is a uh, an anarchist who mm-hmm. blows up the houses of parliament. Right. And he wears a 
a mask mm-hmm. that is uh, supposed to be a representation of Guy Fox, mm-hmm. who's um, and now I forget who Guy Fox is, but he was somebody like, who blew up something. Well, Guy Fox attempted to blow up Parliament. Uh, but he was also a, a conservative religious extremist, so there's a little bit of irony there, but go on. Okay. Which, no doubt, Alan Moore was aware of. Cause, right. Um, and again, um, not ignoring contradictions is part of his whole right. modus operandi. Anyhow, so that mask that this fictional revolutionary wears ended up being adopted by the Occupy Wall Street protesters and various other protesters throughout the world. And it became as if um, this fictional moment became real. You could say that uh, that was a spell that was cast a lot of years ago. That, I mean, I feel like that could pull in a lot of what we've discussed as far as magic goes uh, in terms of perception, in terms of the weirdness of the mundane in terms of in terms of Alan Moore and contradictions and that, storytelling. That's yeah, that's kind of a nice little uh, nexus of all of it. Uh, but it also reminds me, I think, of something we discussed last week, which is where you brought up magic, and it's sort of the 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 magic inherent in coincidence. Uh, and uh, sort of, uh, I, I wish I could. Rem- I wish I, I. I am at a loss for words in how to quite describe this phenomenon. But the the way that that uh, the the way everything sort of comes together, the way you know all these threads interlock and the sort of yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, it, it, whether you're talking about an individual life or our collective life or um, the planet in general. Right. Whether you're talking about a tsunami suddenly obliterating 100,000 people or whatever. Right. It might have been even more. It might have been 200,000. It was absurd. Right. There are moments where you think damn, it is all coming together right now. And that, in a way, is uh, the ultimate expression of magic, something that, that, is, uh, that is accidental and out of your hands, but also somehow seems in your hands. Which is which goes back to the contradiction thing. Yeah. Um, and to the idea of chaos magic in a way, I guess. Uh, that Alan Moore's chaos magic. I don't know what his chaos magic is, but that. Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly either, except you know, um, by osmosis through reading his stories, it it does seem to be about making things happen in the world, and sometimes. Things, you know, like, you can't always make things happen in the world. Uh, At the same time, you will never, um, like, things will happen. 
you you will never have a case where you wake up and nothing happens. You can't stop. Con considering how how insane it would be if you woke up and nothing happened, that would be an event in and of itself, and therefore something would have happened. Yeah, and it would be <laughs> it would, and you would probably call it magic. Right. Um. But it is very tempting, being as things are going to happen anyway, to say, I did that. Right. And that is what, you know, in Western thought, we would call that a primitive way of thinking. We would call that magical thinking. Sort of uh, connecting. Yeah, connecting. Uh, not necessarily, yeah. Connecting non-related phenomena in a causal way. So this cause, you know, A caused B. It's right. not just that, oh, it's a very chaotic universe and all this shit happened. It just happened happened to happen today. Um, you know, and magical thinking will say, well, you know, that happened for a reason. Right. Like, uh, oh... What's the, 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 I mean, that's how religions start, is uh, someone, someone notices that when they did, it, I want to say that's not only how religions start, but also how obsessive compulsions start. They notice that when they turn off the light twice, something good happens, so they do that all the time, and then that either becomes, <laughs> that either becomes this, this compulsion to, you know, just keep. Right, flicking right. lights, or it becomes like this, it spreads and it becomes a, a tradition, a, a, a superstition, and, and then part of a religion. <laughs> and, and you worship the light god, and, and, and you know that he's pleased whenever you flicker the lights twice. And It's, it's a, a central joke to Alan Moore, is that stuff that happens by accident could turn out to be the pivotal... Um, stuff stuff that starts off as total bullshit could turn out to be totally not bullshit. Can, can you cite an example? I, I've, I've read his stuff, but I don't remember. Well, I mean, okay. You figured out that um, when you turn on the light switch, you're an, o, you're an OCD person. Right. You turned on the lights, and what happened? Oh God! Just make something up. Uh, uh, you know, you noticed a twenty-dollar bill on the floor. Okay. So, imagine that that's what happened, and then you constructed your worldview around light and the worship of light, and then imagine through some other string of circumstances, you became a billionaire. Mm -hmm. Now you're able to spread your worldview throughout the world, and something that started out very small and very not real now is real because other people are building their lives around it. Now you have to think this is happening all the time, not in, not just in connection to religion, but in connection to anything. I mean, right. Um, last week we were talking about systems, mm -hmm. systems that um, 
that seem inescapable, like capitalism or, um, I don't know, I forget what we talked about, but <laughs> the systems that we live in often seem inescapable and are, in a right. way. But there are always new systems being created. And these are accidental and might start out as as almost nothing. That's the that's the magic of a, of a complex system. Um, you've heard of fractal yeah. um, effects. I, I don't know what to call this. Chaos theory or the, the or whole maybe, butterfly maybe, story. Yeah, the 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 butterfly story. <laughs> um, it sounds so stupid, but you can see how something small when spun through a complex system comes out the other side massive and I, when you think of the world being con constructed in that way it really is uh, something that makes you lose your words because you can't explain it you can't explain the mechanism behind these things that happen there, it's there's too many factors to trace. There's too many there's too many factors, and you don't know exactly how one thing might cause the other. You like you got the butterfly wing part, right? Right. Okay, I saw the butterfly. That definitely happened. After that, you might be able to calculate a couple other things, but a few steps out from that, you're totally lost. Hmm. And. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty magical thinking way of thinking about the world, but not in a bad way. Because um, you can claim whatever you want. You don't know what the engine of causation is, but you can. You can claim that uh, flicking on this light switch in New Orleans caused a, you know, the nuclear reactor in Japan to go ham I I think uh, a, a more current and horrifying example is I, I, I don't know some little uh, so, well it's actually kind of big so uh, there's a there's a conference in one part of the world and these people they have to go to it they get on a plane they start flying there and they get shot out of the sky by a war that they had nothing to do with uh, and they all happen to be the top AIDS researchers in the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now AIDS research is deeply affected by this war in Ukraine and Russia that, uh, that none of them, or almost none of them, maybe some of them did, but almost none of them had really, really any direct connection to. But now people in now a significant uh, portion of the population of Africa, most specifically, is going to be affected by this because of the epidemic that is strongly affecting that continent, or at least parts of that continent, and all because some jackass with the missile launcher uh, took aim at... I, I would like to think they took aim at the wrong plane, that they weren't intending to take down a, a commercial airliner full of, of AIDS researchers, that they, they thought it was a Russian or a Ukrainian plane. Uh, I assume Ukrainian plane. You can ah. see how a conspiracy theory 
becomes uh, feels plausible and, feels and good. comforting almost. Yeah, feels good because okay, that's a good example. That's a good example from, you know, torn from the pages of today's headlines. Uh, I mean, it's it the idea that it's more comforting to assume that there's somebody in control of this and that is behind all this evil, uh, rather than this just being. Yeah, and that's chaos. a fairly simple example because we were, you know, like, you told a story. Mm -hmm. It was this caused this, which caused this, which caused this. That's that that really is just a a linear description. Right. And um, you know, if you imagine that, except as a as a as a like a branching thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That is terrifying. That is when you start thinking about God or magic or um, whatever else people use to make sense of chaos. Well, here's almost everything, all of culture. Here's the comforting idea I have about chaos, and that is that uh, it, it is unpredictable. So when something horrible happens, you can you you can take comfort in the fact that you can't predict what's going to come of this. That that for all I know, the death of those the, those people is going to inspire the remaining right. the remaining researchers to work even harder. And suddenly we have a cure for AIDS. I I don't actually think that's going to be the case, but mm -hmm. we can't predict that this is actually going to absolutely have a negative impact or that's... a net negative impact. And that's. That's again just following one branch that somehow branches let's call down is bad and up is good for Because for we're prejudiced. Yeah, because we're prejudiced and for convenience of the conversation. You're following one branch down. Mm-hmm. But that is still linked to a bunch of other branches that end up way up here. And, That's what you're saying. Yeah, and I mean the branch goes down, it can go back up, it can go it can possibly go in multiple directions. That's the the, I, the the fact is is that since we can't predict it, there's no necessary reason to say, well, something bad happened. The next thing that happens is going to be bad. That's right. It's not necessarily no, fully I, comforting, but <laughs> no, it's it's. Uh... But what is that? I mean, you. Um... It's not, I don't get depressed when I think of that. It, Which, when you think of inescapable systems. Right. Uh, it would be, uh, I think it would be hard for most people to think of inescapable systems and be happy about it. Right. But uh, of all the systems that exist, I would posit that chaos is probably the most inescapable that we have. Yes. So, uh, and also, I don't know where there's I'm going with that. a well, yeah. It's not gonna, you know, you can depend on it. <laughs> That's one of those. Contra <laughs> now we're back to contradiction. <laughs> yeah. I I I feel like. I feel like what we stumbled upon at the beginning of this podcast was that Alan Moore understands magic, and that like all these ideas just go back to the way 
we think Alan Moore thinks about magic, whether or not we're right about the way he thinks about magic. Well, if, the, if, you're, if what you're talking about is um, how he thinks things that aren't connected are connected. Right. Yeah, I mean, this this conversation that we've had more or less proves that or is or is a you know a live demonstration of that right and uh what what i'm getting at is is i think i'm converted you you want to be a magician i'm going yes i'm going to be an alan moore-esque magician now all right all right you accept Alan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if I were to accept anyone as my lord and savior, Alan Moore would be one of the least horrible choices I could make. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, certainly I've... There are a lot of people who, who, who think of him in a... Um, what's the... You know, think of him in a an avuncular way. <laughs> okay. I can see him. I can see like him. Like, he is a comfort. He's yeah. a... He's a, well, you know, Alan... Alan Moore knows something, so not all bad. That that reminds me of... Uh, in my early days on the internet, I was, uh, I was a teenage anarchist, and uh, I would get on anarchist forums, and uh, one of the things I remember is someone citing something that Noam Chomsky had said and like they they just they cited it and they said it always makes me feel better when something when, when Papa Noam says it because then I like you know like it's always comforting when, that, that he agrees with me or whatever and so I like it, I, I feel like that's the same sort of perception uh, that people that you're describing people having of Alan Moore is that yeah, it's comforting probably. to know that and they're both they're, they're they're both associated with the left. I mean, it's funny that he and Frank Miller had a had a, a fight. I don't know what is their relationship professionally or personally if they right. have any at all, but they do occupy um, sort of opposite ends of the of the famous, they are the famous comics political spectrum. Right, they are definitely F famous comics writers. They're at different ends of the political spectrum. Um, but, you know, speaking of contradictions, I've enjoyed both of their works. They worked on a lot of the same characters, as, at least um, in relation to, you know, major, iconic, superheroic type characters. Right. So it's funny that... Uh, they're kind of like, in spite of their differences, they're working. They're they're working two ends of the same magical branch. They're both storytellers that uh, have very intense views, and uh, they. I I don't quite know the the the, the connection, but. I feel like there has to be one, but uh, in terms, in in context of this conversation, anyway. But they, their uh, their their viewpoints certainly bleed through whatever they write, and there are uh, even though they're at opposite ends of the spectrum, they do have certain similarities in their viewpoints that uh, I think make compelling stories, regardless of if you agree with them or not.
or even thinking about it in a in a purely you know in its in a simplified form they've both written famous batman stories what the hell does that mean they're they're <laughs> they're and grant morrison right all three of those guys have and batman will likely outlive all of them and will <laughs> keep on inspiring yeah, yeah. Idiotic stories for the years <laughs> to come, and maybe a few nice ones. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to hope. <laughs> um, I, I, I feel like we're we're almost at a natural stopping point at this moment. Do you, do right. you agree? I, I think we 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 leave them with a song. All right, let's um. Let's take him to something really nice, something, right. something that that all like make people have that feeling. Some something that uh, say if a few strangers met in paradise, this this would capture their uh, capture their moment. Yeah. All yeah. right. Um. All right. Well, I'm the Mizza. I'm Billy Ray Stupendous. And this has been talking about practice. We're signing off. Good night. I put a spell on you. Because you're mine. Stop the things you do. <laughs> What's up? Because